right, give yourselves a hand. You got out of bed this morning. Come on. You deserve more than that. Come on now. So uh, we celebrate getting out of bed every, every Sunday because we wish we would, like someone would do that for us every day. Um, today we have something extremely, extremely special. So I want to invite Mike and Melanie Shaw on stage along with my wife. Just come on up through the, the steps here. Um, Mike and Melanie are going to be, this is really, really exciting. That's why they're coming up here because it's a big deal. Uh, they are, they're going to be the very first missionaries that the, that the Refuge Church is sending out from us. So, uh, Mike and Melanie are going to be missionaries to South Korea. So, yeah. It's a big deal. It's a big, big deal that, um, that we are sending out 18 months old. Is all our church is. And God, part of the vision of our church, and, and one, of the, one of our cultural values is we want to be dreamers and risk takers, not settling our dreams to remain dreams for our entire lives. Like We want to inspire people to chase the dream that God has put in their heart. And I believe that Mike and Mel are a result of the culture that we're building. So... Um, we are going to do what the Bible tells us to do. We're going to, uh, the leaders of the church, Tanya and I, are going to lay our hands on Mike and Mel, and we're going we're gonna to pray for them, and then instead of having them get a microphone in their face and telling you all about what they're going to South Korea to do, we've got a, a short video for you to watch at the conclusion of my prayer. So we're going to pray with them right now. So, God, thank you so much for the dream that you have placed in all of our hearts. And Lord, I, I thank you for uh, this particular dream that you have placed in the Shah's heart. God, to see South Korea come to know Jesus. Father, I know it's a dream that was placed in, in Melanie's heart as a young girl, watching her dad serve as a missionary to South Korea. And Lord, one that now Mike has because he loves his wife. And Father, I, I thank you for the way that you brought this dream together. Lord, I thank you for the way that you've used our church to inspire them and let them see that dreams can come true. Father, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that has a dream in their heart, Lord, I pray that they would be inspired today to see that dreams can come true when we do it in your name. Father, you are the component that allows it to come to reality. So, God, we trust you for it. We trust you that this isn't being done because of Mike and Melanie, but it is being done because of Jesus and him alone. <coughs> Father, he is worthy of all the dreams that you have placed in our heart. And he is worthy of us chasing those dreams and working hard to see those dreams become true. Because, God, it does require hard work. So, God, I pray that you would provide for Mike and Melanie, that you would use, um, use the refuge, use churches all across the world, Lord, to provide for them, Lord, that they could see their dream come true. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And then watch this video with us. We are Mike and Melanie Shaw. 
going as short-term church planners to change your mind to South Korea and follow the Mike and I have both known since we were in college that we were passionate about church planting, but we also knew that God wasn't calling us in full-time ministry. We realized in June of last year that although we can't find as church planters the way we've been called to right now, we can support them physically with our time, our energy, and our non-financial resources and skills. This is what we've been trying to do at Refuge Church and we've been made for the last year. And in this process, we've learned a great deal about what successful church planting looks like and become more passionate about it. The best way to support us is by giving directly through our Give Send Go page. 100% of the profits go to our cost of living in Or you can buy a t-shirt a month from our online store for 100% of the profits go to our cost of living. If you choose to support us in this way, you can enter into our monthly thank you giveaway gift on social media by posting a picture of you using your mug or wearing your t-shirt and using the hashtag ShopFreeDay. <coughs> We are so excited about what is coming. We are so thankful for your support as we pursue this next step. All right, so make sure that you connect with Mike and Melanie. I know that they would uh, love to sell a lot of t-shirts today. Um, I don't know, did you bring, where are they at? Did you bring t-shirts with you? No, they didn't bring them with them, but you order them online and uh, they will send them to you. So uh, t-shirts are an incredible, uh, tool to, to raise money. We, one of the things that we did uh, when we were raising money to start the Refuge Church is we, we made t-shirts that said Refuge is coming and uh, every once in a while you'll see me wear one. Uh, we sold those t-shirts and uh, God used it to, to help us raise the money to start the Refuge Church. So um, make sure that you, and, and they would love more than just buying a t-shirt. One of my favorite things about selling t-shirts were when people would give me a $100 bill and say, we don't want the change. Like, that was the best part. So, um, I'm sure that they would love the same thing, right? I'm not telling you all to give $100, but hey, if we did, like, it would, it, you know, it's not an expensive t-shirt. It's money that goes to reaching South Korea for Jesus. So, it's bigger than a t-shirt. And I, I, that's, that's what I love about my Refugees Coming t-shirt. It's Number one, it's comfortable. Number two, it's, it's bigger than the t-shirt. And, and so, um, I just can't, can't say that enough. Support them, love them, care for them, pray for them, and um, you've got cards though, right? No, not yet, sorry, I'm putting them on the spot. I should have known all that before I got up here. Chump that I am. Um, so, I wanna remind you of two things before we get started, um, and that is, last week we launched our small groups. We have eight new small groups because we launched them last week. You can find those on refugemain.church forward slash groups. So if you haven't done that yet, make sure you do that this week. And if there's not a group for you, then I want to encourage you to sign up to be a leader next, next semester, which isn't until February. But next semester, we will, if you don't have a group for you this, this semester, maybe you live far away. Then that's a perfect example for you to start a, a group in the town that you live. Like, you can all be leaders. And so um, we just want to encourage you to, to look and see what we have available and to join a small group this week. And, um, and if, again, if there's not one, that you'd be inspired to start one 
uh, in the coming semesters. And then the next thing I want to invite you to is next Sunday, uh, because there, this is the fifth Sunday of the month, we do not have my refuge, but next Sunday we do. So my refuge is broken down into three weeks. It's the first three weeks of every month. The first week is called My Home, and that's what we're having next week. It's called My Home. We want to invite you to it because the reason we call it My Home is because it's the process of making this house your home. So this house is the, the Refuge Church, but um, to make it your home, like, like, you know, I don't have to explain that to you. You understand the difference between a house and a home. And so uh, we want you to make, we want you all to make the Refuge Church your home. That's, that's our desire. And it's not because um, the, the course is magical or anything. It's because, like, we believe that, that, that the Refuge Church is going to see people come to know Jesus. And that's why we exist, is to, to bring people to, to him. It's not to bring people to the Refuge Church. But we need to, we need to grow our church so that we can see more people come to the church. And, and the Refuge, my Refuge, will explain all of it. And it does so in a, in a, in a beautiful way. So um, for the next three weeks, my Refuge, um, we, if you haven't been through it, we would love for you to attend. Because it's, um, it really helps us reach our potential. And, and that's, that's really what it's all about. Reaching the potential that we all have. That's what we want to see. It's more about you than it is about us. So um, I hope that that's clear. All right. You guys are looking at me with a blank stare on your face. And you guys need to give somebody a high five. So just your neighbor next door, next to you, next door to you, just give them a high five. Got a smile on their face, like loosen up just a little bit. Like we're all, we're all in this together. I love it. I love it. I love it. Now relax. Have a good time. Put your arm around your neighbor. If you came in with them, if you didn't come in with them, put your arm around your neighbor. Hey, we're all family here. So enjoy each other's company today. Um, this this service is we've said it before we, I've gotten away from saying it but this is an interactive service like we don't we don't want it to be boring but the only way it's gonna it's, it's not gonna be boring is if, if I'm not the only one talking so you guys are allowed to talk you guys are allowed to shout amen you guys are allowed to laugh you're allowed to cry you're allowed to give a woohoo you're like just like shout like just come on like This morning I am super excited because we're beginning a new original series called Love Over Obligation. And I have always said that the best sermons that I love to, that I like to listen to are the sermons that inspire other sermons. And so, um, and, and maybe that's just because I'm a preacher, I don't know. But um, as I'm listening to other sermons, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to be inspired to write other sermons. And so, uh, at the beginning of August, we had Pastor Derek Fry, uh, lovingly called PD. Uh, we had PD come in, and he spoke for us. And as he spoke, uh, I was inspired to write this series called Love Over Obligation. And the, the thought that inspired the whole series is a thought that we're going to carry throughout the next three weeks. 
And this is the thought. The thought is that God wants all of us to see ourselves as sons and not slaves. God wants, to see, wants us to see ourselves as his sons and not his slaves. And this series, hopefully, hopefully will be inspired to see ourselves as sons and not slaves. And here's why we're talking about it. Because so often times in our lives, people that we speak to, people that we talk to about Jesus will say things like, well, I've got a lot of things in my life that I've got to clean up before I come to God. Before I go to church, I've got to get things in my life in order. Well, the reason they believe that, and the reason we think that as human beings, is because we think that we have to fix it ourselves. We think that, that we have to come in with certain expectations. That, that, that we, we're coming into this relationship with God, and that, we have, that He has the expectation of us having it all figured out when we come to Him. But that's not His expectation. His expectation is for us to come to him broken. Come on. Yeah. And so if we are come to, to come to him broken, we have to realize that we cannot fix ourselves. And so that alone should inspire us to come to him out of love for him and not out of being obligated to love him. Does that make sense? And so that's what the entire series is all about. Week one, today we're talking about fatal obligation. Next week we're going to talk about life-giving love. So obligation is fatal, but love is life-giving. And then finally the last week we're going to talk about how we make that love for God last. Endless love for God. But today we're talking about fatal obligation. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are, for what you do. Lord, thank you that you don't see us as slaves. Therefore, you don't see yourself as our master telling us what to do, but you see yourself as our father that wants to see your son come home. Father, I pray for the people that aren't home where they belong with their father yet today. God, I pray that they would come into this place broken, knowing that they can't fix themselves, knowing that you don't require them to fix themselves, but knowing that they can come to you in their brokenness and that you will clean them up, that you will fix them because of your love for us. All you want us to do is to love you back. So God, I pray for this, not just today, but I pray for this whole series that you would use it to inspire us. So in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, we've all been given this mindset of obligation from the very, uh, from, the, from, from the, the time we were kids. Uh, it all starts when we're young and our parents tell us to clean our room. Clean your room or else you will be grounded, young man, young lady. Or maybe it is just our chores. Do your chores or you're not going to get your allowance if you were um, fortunate enough to get an allowance. I wasn't fortunate enough to get an allowance, therefore my kids are not fortunate enough to get allowance. But whatever you were told, so, so it started when we were young at home with mom and dad, and then we go to school, and now we're obligated to do our work in class because... We want to get good grades. 
And if you don't do your work in class, then you don't get good grades. And so we're obligated to do the work and do the homework. And then if we're fortunate enough to graduate high school, to get our GED, or to uh, graduate from college, we go on to get a job. Why do we get a job? Because we don't want to be poor. So we're obligated to make money to make ends meet because we're obligated to get money so that we can live. We have this mindset of obligation poured into us for our entire lives. And so I think it's only natural for us to think that we have an obligation when it comes to our relationship with God. But the fact of the matter is, is that we are not obligated to love God, and when we come to Him, we don't come to Him out of obligation. But because of the mindset of obligation that we all have, it is carried on through our relationship with Him once we decide to follow Him. Does that, are you following me? Yeah. Yep. There will always be things in our lives that we do in order to receive something in return. But this series is hopefully will inspire us to do things out of love. We go to church as 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 kids because our kid our, our parents went to church. Like there were times in my life that I went to church because my dad was the pastor there. Because I had to go, because uh, our parents tell us to go. But the, the, the studies show us that if you go to church as a child because your parents go, because they make you go, then the chances of you going as an adult are very slim. And mom, dad, listen to me. I want your kids to go to church when they're in college. Yeah. Yeah. Because I believe that it's the church that's, gonna, that's the hope of the world. It's the church that, that, that God wants to use to reach the world. And it's in the church that we find our fulfillment, that we find the way that God has wired us, that we find the gifts that God has given us to, because we use them for Him and His glory. And so that's why I want your kids to remain in church as they get older. Not out of obligation. And so the opposite of obligation is desire. When we can figure out to, like, like when, we, when we realize that we do something because we want to. Because we want to do it. A few weeks ago, I talked about um, the principle of the opposite. How God oftentimes uses the opposite of things in our lives. For example, uh, the inspiration was I went camping. And when I was camping, I realized that in order to recharge, I had to unplug from everything. My phone didn't work. Yeah. I unplugged from, from, from things here at you know, in Wyndham, and I, we went far away, and I unplugged, and I recharged. And God oftentimes uses the opposite, such as in order to find freedom, He wants us to surrender. And it's, it's so true in so many facets of life. And so, when it comes to obligation, I think the opposite at its, at its surface is desire, but when you really dig down deep, the things that we desire are the things that we love. And therefore, the, at the root of it, the, the opposite of obligation is not desire, 
But the root of the, the, the opposite of obligation is, in fact, love. And so God can use the opposite in order to, to get our hearts right. I think that that's what he wants to do in this series. It all sounds good, right? Love is always the answer, right? Like, like we all are attracted to the word love. Our world is attracted to the word love, to the word love these days. No hate. I, I, was, I was driving down the road the other day and I saw a bumper sticker that said, I believe in the separation of church and hate. Like, I get it. We, we love the word love. And, um, and to me, it's just like, they just don't, they, I don't know. I don't know why I told you I saw that bumper sticker. It made me mad. <laughs> but for too often times, um, the church has uh, lived off of what is perceived by our world as hate. And uh, I think that the answer is, is love. But it's real love, not love the way, not love on our terms, but love on God's terms. And anyway, that was just a little bit of a soapbox. So what does the Bible have to say about all of it, right? That's, that's, that's the, the question. What does the Bible have to say about this idea of love over obligation? Well, for this whole series, I want to look at the gospel. And I want to look at it in, in a way that Jesus told it. So the gospel is the good news, right? The gospel is the good news that Jesus lived this life, that he came to earth perfect, that he died on the cross, that he rose again on the third day to conquer death for all of us so that we can come back into relationship with God our Father. That's the good news. Well, Jesus told that story. He told that story in a, in a different way. Um, because when Jesus taught, he taught using what the Bible calls parables. Parables were earthly stories that, re that relayed heavenly truth. And so um, he tells this story that is ultimately the gospel. And it's the story known to us as the, the story of the prodigal son. It is my favorite Bible story. And it's funny because truth be told... It's a fictional story that Jesus told. But be, because it relays heavenly truth, it is true. And we're going to look at the story of the prodigal son for the entire series. Because I believe that the, the idea of love, choosing love over obligation, is seen throughout it. But oftentimes, oftentimes... Um, we, we get wrapped up in parts of the story that Jesus, I don't know that Jesus intended us to get wrapped up in. And so we're going to read the entire story of the prodigal son in just a minute. It's found in Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 32. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, the, the words will be on the screen behind me. But also, please feel free to follow along in the New Version Bible app which is also behind me to tell you how to get there. It's in the YouVersion app that uh, looks like the, the Holy Bible over there. Uh, if you have another Holy Bible on your phone, it's the wrong one. Uh, so uh, it's not the wrong Bible. It's just not the YouVersion Bible. And uh, so follow that one. 
get into the events portion and it'll tell you behind me how to, how to do it. Jesus is telling this story as a response to these religious men that are known as Pharisees that accuse him of this. They said, they said, Jesus, you sit with sinners and you welcome them and you eat with them. And so Jesus goes on to tell these three stories, actually. He tells first the story about a lost coin, about a woman losing a coin. And then he tells a story about how a lost sheep gets out of the pen and the shepherd goes and he finds a sheep. And then he gets to the lost son and he tells the story of the prodigal. And oftentimes we believe that the story is about the lost son. I think because previously he's talking about the lost sheep and the lost coin before he's talking about the lost son. But the fact of the matter is, is the man in the story, the father in the story has two sons. We're going to read it. So I'm, not, I'm, I'm about to get ahead of myself if I don't stop and read it. So we're going to read it. And uh, I want you to follow along with me as best you can. All right. I'm going to do my best to read it in a way that uh, is, is uh, something you can pay attention to, not fall asleep to. All right. It's found in Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 32. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says this. It says, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. Say two sons. Two sons. Two sons. I, only, I needed a drink of water. That's why I had you say that. <laughs> Verse 12 says, The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided, he the father, divided the property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together, uh, got together all that he had. And he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered the wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired, he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods and the pigs that were eating, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said... How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and I will go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Verse 20. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and the sandals on his feet. Bring the fat calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older brother. Say two sons. Two sons. Two sons. The older brother was in the field. He came near the house. He heard music and dancing, and so he called one of his servants, and he asked him what was going on. The, the brother, your brother, has come home, the young man replied. 
and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and he pleaded with him. So his father went out and he pleaded with him. But the answer, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours was, has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because the brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. The reason we're looking at the story of the prodigal son is because it, is, it beautifully illustrates the relationship between God and man. I think that that's God's, uh, I think that's Jesus' intent in telling the story. He's illustrating the, the relationship between God and man. In the beginning, God created all of us with a relationship with him. At the very beginning, we had a relationship with God. Everything was good. But that relationship was broken when we sinned, when we did wrong. In John chapter 1, verse 10 and 12, through 12, it says, He came into the very world that he created, but the world did not recognize him. The reason we didn't recognize him was because we had a broken relationship with him. Verse 11 says, He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed and and accept him, he gave the right to become children of God. Another translation of verse 12 says, He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. We didn't receive him. And so Jesus tells this story about two, a, a father and two sons. And, he, and it, I believe that it's to demonstrate the broken relationship that all human beings have between God and and us. And it's a broken relationship that both sons have. But oftentimes we think because the older son is always at home that his relationship with his father isn't broken. But we'll get to that in just a few moments. But I want to I want to point to us today because we are talking about fatal obligation. I want to talk about the obligation that all three characters have in the story. The first one we see the obligation of the father and the obligation the father has is that of compassion. Compassion. The father's obligation is compassion. And it can only be explained by his actions. Because Jesus is telling this story about, about God, about, about himself, really. Because he's telling the story about the Father being a picture of Him and who He is, and God and, and His nature. The reason that the obligation of the Father in this story is compassion is because it, He represents God. Does that make sense? It's not an obligation that every father has, although I believe that a good father, a good, good father, would have compassion. It's who He is. 
two years. No chuckles? <laughs> Only Christians that worship understand that joke. And if you don't, look up Chris Tomlin, Good Good Father. It's a great song. So in our story, the Father's obligation of compassion is only displayed through his actions. Jesus is telling the story, and he's telling it as, as the Father representing really himself, but also God, because Jesus is, is, and his nature is the same. In Psalm 103.13, it says, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Our relationship with God is to be that of father and son, or father and daughter. The acts of compassion that the father displays in this story are this. First of all, he gives his inheritance to the younger son, even though he doesn't have to. Check out what this younger son is saying to his father. The younger son is saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. The reason we know that is because the only reason why anyone ever receives an inheritance is because it's handed down to them after their father has died. The son is saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my money. I want my inheritance. And so because the father loves the son, he gives it to him out of compassion. The second thing that the father does is the ultimate act of compassion upon the son's return home. The father is waiting at home and waiting at home and waiting at home for his son's return. Jesus never tells us how long the son is gone, but we know that the father is waiting and waiting and waiting for him to return. And when he sees his son a long way off, he leaves his home and he comes running down the road, which was an act of compassion. Because when you dig down into the culture, I've talked about this before, when you dig down into the culture, what's waiting for the young man to return because he has slapped all the, the people in town in the face because he squandered his money. And we'll, we're going to talk about that when we get to the son's obligation. But because he's wasted the money and he's brought down the property value of the entire town, of the entire village, Upon his return, there's a ceremony waiting for him called the Kazaza ceremony in the Hebrew. The Kazaza ceremony is when the entire town would meet him at the gate with a pot that they would come out and they would throw it in his face. They would put it over their head and they would throw it in his face and they would say, so-and-so um, is cut off from this village. He is not welcome here. And that's why the father had to leave from his house and had to run and get there because he had to beat the whole town there. Because once the town would see that the father was there, the town would see that the father has welcomed his son home. And the father was the only one that had the power to welcome the son home because he was the one that he had a broken relationship with. The act of running in the day was one that was of humiliation for a man. When you study the culture again, you would see that most men didn't run over the age of, the, of, of 20. And the reason for that is because they would wear a tunic, they would wear a robe. And any woman that has worn a dress knows that it is very hard to run in a dress. It is very hard to run in a robe. 
So women would know that you have to pick up your dress and you have to, in order to get movement from your legs, to move, otherwise you trip. And so the father has to pick up his robe to, in order to run, exposing his legs and probably even his undergarments, making himself humiliated for everyone to see. That was an act of compassion in order to welcome the son home. But the missing act of compassion that we often miss out on this story is the one that he shows the older brother. You see, the father welcomes his son home and he throws a party. Again, the party is for the father and not the, the son that come home. Because the reason we know that is because because of what the son has done to the village, no one in town would come to the party if it was for the younger son. But they would come if, it, if the father was throwing it. They come in order in honor of the father, not the younger son. And so because people are, are at this party, and the father is the host, the father, the, 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 in the story, it says that the older son is out in the fields. But it also says that the father went out to meet him there. When the father leaves the party, he slaps all his guests in the face. And he says, my son is more important than any of you. And it's the second act of humiliation that the father does in the story. In order to restore the son. And we can learn a lot from the compassion of the father and the prodigal son. Because it's the same compassion that God showed all of us. He has done everything that he can. He was publicly humiliated on the cross that hung between heaven and earth for all of us to be restored into relationship with him. The Father's obligation is compassion. But then, we see the obligation of the son. The younger son. The obvious obligation of the younger son is to do what every other boy would do. To wait till his father has died in order to receive the inheritance. Just wait till his father is dead. In breaking this obligation, the younger son breaks the Jewish law. You see, bet between the two sons, they both have broken relationships with the father. One has a broken relationship with the father due to his breaking of the law. And the other one has an, a broken relationship with the father due to his keeping of the law. We're going to get there in just a moment. He breaks the Jewish law by asking for his father's inheritance, saying, I wish you were dead. It was a big deal. The second obligation of the son, of the younger son, is the obligation once he receives the inheritance. His obligation is not to squander the money, but to take it and invest it in, in, in and do something with the property that his son has given him. That's the obligation for the entire city, the entire town. It's an obligation that he has for them. Or else he wouldn't be welcome home. This was an act that was a slap in the face of the entire village. Because he squandered the money in wild living. In our lowest moments, 
the attitude of obligation says I must do something in order to fix it. I must do something in order to fix it, to make it right. But our attitude of love says I could never earn the love that is being given to me. I could never earn it, therefore I will do whatever I can to hold on to it, to appreciate it. One of my absolute favorite parts of this entire story is found when the younger son is, is with the pigs. Now, Jewish people and pigs, I don't know if you know much about Jewish culture, but, but Jews don't eat pigs. So when he is with the pigs, he is, he is like in the lowest possible point. He is starving. He's starving and he's saying, if I just could eat what the pigs are eating. And the Bible says no one will give him food to eat. And so he's there and he's at his lowest possible point and he's looking around and he's doing a little self-evaluation. We all need some self-evaluation. Hopefully we don't have to get to the lowest point to get there. And in his self-evaluation, he's sitting there and he's going, even my father's servants at home have food to eat and I don't have anything to eat. And he says this, he says, you know what, I'm going to go home. And I'm going to say to my father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me your hired servant. Make me a servant. That's what I'll do. I'll go home and I will work to get back into the good graces of my dad. That's what I'll do. <coughs> this is the attitude of obligation. The attitude of obligation says that I have to work in order to make it right. I am obligated to make it right. I messed up, therefore I have to earn the right to be called a son. But what he did not understand was that he was already a son and he never stopped being a son. Father still loved him very much. And he didn't have to earn it. Because if he had to earn it, he wouldn't deserve it. He, he would deserve it. It, he, it was something that he would obtain. But we cannot obtain the, the love of God that he has for us. Because it is far greater than that. And so in verse 21, the prodigal returns. He comes home and, 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 and listen to what he says. He says, I sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be your son. But that's it. He drops the servanthood. He drops it. He says, you know what? He comes and, he's, and he realizes, my dad loves me and I don't have to earn it anymore. The compassionate act of a father is enough to remove the attitude of obligation. When we see all that Jesus has done for us, and we come to that aha moment in our hearts and we realize that, you know what, I can't earn it. It's all what he has done and not what I have done. When we finally do that, we realize that we could never be good enough to be saved. We could never be good enough to restore our relationship with our Father. Our salvation is based not on being a good person because we could never be 
good enough. And so the obligation of the older brother is a little bit tricky. Because this is an obligation that he has that he didn't desire. He didn't want it. But he was given the obligation because the younger son was stupid and he wished that his dad was dead. So he had to give the inheritance to both sons. You see, the father culturally couldn't break up the inheritance. He had to give it to both of them at the same time. It was all of it was both of theirs. And so because he had to give the, the, the inheritance to both of them, the older son is given the obligation of that, that was the same as the obligation of the younger son to manage the, the inheritance well. And you know what? He does. He manages the, the inheritance well. He does a good job. He, later on in the story, he says, you know what? I, have, I, I find it interesting that the translation that we use, that we use this morning said, I have slaved for you. Again, God wants us to have the attitude of a son and not a slave. He has the mindset, the older son has the mindset of that of a slave. So he keeps the obligation of managing the money well, managing the inheritance well, because he is a keeper of the law. But you know how there are things in our lives that we don't want to do, but we're obligated to do, especially when it comes to relationships? <laughs> like if there's anything that we do because we don't want to do is because of relationships. Well, being the older brother... <laughs> The father is throwing a party. And the second obligation that the, that the older son has is to go into the party for in honor of his father. But what does the story say? It says that he stayed in the field. Now, obviously, the family is wealthy. They have slaves. They, they kill a fattened calf in order to celebrate. They're a wealthy family. So because they're a wealthy family, the chances of the older son working in the field probably isn't happening. He's probably managing the servants and telling them what to do in a respectful way. But he's probably managing the field. And because he's out in the field, he doesn't come inside. He hears the music. He knows what's going on. His brother isn't, isn't home. His brother hasn't been home. The entire village would have gone out to meet and to see the father in front of the son, the whole village is there. Every, everything's going on. He knows what's going on. But he never goes inside. And the, Bible, the story says that he went and he asked one of the servants. He went and asked one of the boys, one of the, one of the younger boys. This is probably a younger boy that wasn't old enough to be in the party. And they're outside and they're playing. And the younger boy says to the brother, your, your, your brother has returned home, so your father is throwing this party. Verse, verse 27 through 28, I'm not going to read that for you, except verse 28 says, but the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. The older brother is angry because the father has welcomed the brother home. He knows that he is welcomed because of the celebration that's going on. Now, remember why Jesus is telling the story. Jesus is telling the story as a response to the Pharisees that say, you welcome sinners and you eat with them. Who is the story about? 
story about the younger son that goes and restores? Yes, it is. Because Jesus welcomes sinners. And he welcomes us no matter how broken our relationship with God is. All for the purpose of bringing us back into that relationship. But Jesus is telling the story because of the attitude of the older brother. And the attitude of the older brother was that of a slave. I'm not going inside because I'm going to keep the law. Because I can't be in the same room as that, as the, as that dirty, rotten sinner. I'm not going to be in the room with him. But yet the father welcomes the sinner home. Church, this is something we have to get right. We have to be a place that chooses love over obligation. And because we choose love over obligation, all are welcome. No matter how broken their relationship with God is. The older brother represents the Pharisees that Jesus is telling the story about. Because he keeps the law out of obligation. He doesn't go into the party because there was a sinner in there that didn't belong. And the response that the older son has for his obligation, he ignores everything altogether. He ignores his obligation. And he doesn't, he doesn't do it. He doesn't go into the party. Because he chooses. He chooses his own feeling more so than the obligation that he had to the law. This is fatal. Because the older son has a broken relationship with the father just like the younger son did. And to my study of the story, the older son never has his relationship restored with the father. But the younger son does. Why? Why? Because of the return. Because he came home. And because he had an attitude in his heart that was changed. You see, when we choose love over obligation, we continue to do good works because the love that has been given to us is so great. Because the love that we have received is so great, we don't want to go back to the way it was before. Because the love that has been shown to us by the Father is so great, all we want to do is please the Father. Do me a favor, bow your heads, close your eyes. You know what? Stand with me. You've been sitting for a while, stand with me, bow your heads. When your heads are out, your eyes closed. I'm going to invite you prayer team up to the stairs. They're going to be here to pray with anyone that needs prayer this morning. I absolutely love the story of the prodigal son. Because there's so much more to it than what we, we see as American Christians. <laughs> But you know what I see the most? I see the way that the Father welcomes those home that were far from Him. 
And maybe you're here this morning and you just, you're broken. And you know, you know that, that God loves you. You know that God cares about you. Maybe you just need to say, Pastor Adam, it's, it's time for me to come home. Is there anyone like that at all? Anyone that would raise your hand and say, Pastor Adam, it's time for me to come home. I'm going to come home to Jesus. Anyone like that at all? Thank you. Maybe you're, you've been a Christian for a long time. And maybe you've just fallen into the rut of obligation. Maybe it's time that you start doing and start serving out of your love for God. Maybe it's time that you start giving out of your love for God. Show Him how much you love Him. Not because you're obligated to. You're not obligated to get up tomorrow morning and read God's Word. But you get up tomorrow morning to read God's Word because you can't wait to get there. Because you just want to see your Father face face. If you want to come home, I want to invite you to say this prayer. You say, God, I know I've done wrong. And I know because I've done wrong, my relationship with you is broken. I believe that Jesus has done everything that was necessary to heal that relationship with God. I ask him to come into my life to save me, to help me to live for him, and to fully restore my relationship with my Father. So Jesus, I pray. Amen. Would you give God a hand today for what he's done?